Hey guys, it's Ryan, your co-host at Between the Fights. Aaron and I want to thank you for tuning in for another week, and this week's episode is about diversity in craft beer. Until recently, diversity in craft beer has not been discussed much outside of a brewery having a diverse lineup of beers. Today's discussion will make some people uncomfortable, and that is exactly why we need to talk about this issue. If you're going to listen to one episode of our show, this is the one you should, and we are glad to have you here. Slancha. Hey guys, and welcome to Between the Pints, your source for the business side of craft beer. I'm your host, Aaron Gore, a.k.a. The Human Muppet, and I'm here with my co-host, Ryan Moses, the beer counselor. And joining us today is Tabu Terrell, owner of Three Spirits Brewery right here in Charlotte, North Carolina. How you doing today, Tabu? I'm doing great. How about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right, living the dream, talking into a microphone, making people listen to me. Uh, pretty much everything I wanted out of life. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I guess let's go ahead and dive right in a little bit into some brew news. Uh, Ryan, what do you got for us today? Right, today I have. Today yeah, that that was Taboo's phone. Yeah. We're 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 finding a new guest as we speak. That's it. You're out of here, buddy. Yes, it was my daughter. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> the good news about kids is you can always make more. You know. <laughs> Please, please don't quote me on that, people. I know I just said that into a recording device, but I got to kill on the way, and my wife will probably stab me. That one you can go ahead and quote me on. All right, so what do you got for us, buddy? My first article is craftbeer.com released the best beer bars in America today. And to, it's a, Cheers obviously yeah. won, as yeah. it's won every year that's since like 1984, right? Yes, because that's the number one beer bar in the United States. That's actually a real bar, by the way, yeah. in, in Boston. I've, yeah. I've been there. It's way less fun than the, the show makes it look. Yeah, it, it does not look anything like the show. A, at all. <laughs> it it's like in Faneuil Hall. Yeah, it looks like a closet. <laughs> like, like it's just it's filled with terrible trash people. And uh, This is not the time or the place to get into my hatred of the city of Boston. I, I apologize <laughs> to my Bostonian wife. This is <laughs> – wow, I, I think I might just end my marriage on radio. All right, great. <laughs> So, anyways, what did uh, what did it look like with the winners? Well, it's a great one. You should check this out every year because it usually comes out February, March, just before the uh, Craft Brewers Conference. But this year, here in North Carolina, the winner was the Craft Centric Tap Room and Bottle Shop in Arden, and in South Carolina, the Craft Stand in Lancaster, which is right across the border from beautiful Charlotte, where we are currently recording. And for those of you who don't know anything about Lancaster, South Carolina, uh, there is nothing in Lancaster, South Carolina. The guy who owns the place, like I've met him when he was still getting this place set up, and he literally created this bottle shop because there was nothing to do on the first Saturday night he was living there. Yeah, well, I used to, when I worked at the Foundation for the Carolinas, I used to work on scholarships, and we have a scholarship in, you know, a couple scholarships in Lancaster, and I used to drive down for the meetings every spring. And that's a long, long drive <laughs> with nothing. I, I hope you like farms and mechanic shops. That's pretty much all there was, yeah. Pretty much all there. A few churches, but, you know, it is the South. Uh, but the other thing about this article that's going to tie into kind of what we're talking about today with diversity is there's a few of the winners that they have photos of the people in their bars and tap rooms. What did the photos look like, Ryan? There were, there were a lot of white people. Shock and awe. But that's not the problem. There was a lot of white people and no one else of any color. It was a lot of white people. I, you, you guys can't see this at home, but this is my surprised face. <laughs> yeah. But, and like I said, that's going to tie into kind of what we're talking about today with uh, Taboo and then our other guest, um, Brian Roth. But 
but yeah, go read the article. It's a like it's a fun article. You get to see a lot of really cool fifty good bars here in the United States that are that you should put on your destination list if you happen to be in that part of the country. But it just yeah. Yeah, places that are definitely worth driving out to and spending a little time at. Yeah. And my second article comes from the Brewer magazine. It's how it's called How to Decide Who Tells Your Brewery Story Through Social Media. And basically it's just a um article that says for instance breweries it's important to figure out how you want to how you want your social media to work do you want it to be an in-house thing where you have someone who's on staff taking care of your instagram and your twitter and your facebook and your all your blog posts and that kind of stuff or do you want to farm it out to a marketing firm and i guess my way of looking at it is i think of it the same way as i do with distribution you should keep it in-house as long as you possibly can because it's something that, especially as you're a smaller, younger brewery, that's how you build your brand is almost one-on-one talking to each customer, making sure your customers are taken care of via social media and in your tap room, making making your tap room look interesting from your the photos you throw on Instagram. And I think it helps if you have someone in-house who's there every day who can has the passion for your brewery and your product and get that and put that out there for people to see. And honestly, I mean, this is an industry that was really built on taking that industrial scale model and reducing it back to what it used to be with that local touch and and with that local connection, that personal touch. I mean, I I can't tell you how often I see people just get tickled pink to meet meet a professional brewer as as if, you know, they just met, I I don't don't know, Beyonce. Like, (laughs) oh my God, you brew beer for a living? I saw it on shelves. Yeah, people, it just blows people's mind. And and being able to have that same effect on your social media presence and be able to make it feel like you're talking to them, not, not, you know, just necessarily selling the product, but that you're as invested in this as they feel like they're invested in it. that makes a difference to your average yeah. drinker and your average person who may be coming by your tap room. And yeah. I agree. And I would like to add, too, that um, especially as we talk about how many new craft breweries there are here in Charlotte, um, we kind of all get thrown under the same umbrella. But if you go into each place, everyone has its own distinct vibe, which if you have a marketing firm, that's kind of hard for them to yeah. get across well we'll go ahead and put on that craft beer template you know I, yeah. we, we've used it for 30 other uh, firms you know the great and that's the thing and like I've, and if you can it's one of those weird things like I've, I'm on Twitter enough that I know the difference between a an actual person who works at a brewery who is tweeting something at you and a SEO market or search engine optimization slash marketing company who is doing Ooh, breaking a, up the technical terms who sends out a tweet after you've like posted something on untap and it updates on your twitter feed and they like they'll ask you some silly or weird question about how ooh, is this the first time you've had that beer it's like well feels generic yeah if you've like looked at my untapped feed or my twitter feed you know this is like this is one of my favorite beers and like this is like the fourth one I've had tonight. You should know. <laughs> <laughs> you lush. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, but it's definitely important. I mean, the, the bottle shop that I work for, just to, you know, not that I'm naming any names here, we had, for a while had a 
social media, like a, a marketing group that was handling our social media we did for the same us. Thing, yeah. Oh yeah, no, it, it didn't work out so well. They literally <laughs> no. posted a picture of our tap wall um, onto Facebook. The only problem with that was it wasn't our tap wall. Oh, so uh, there's wow. nothing like getting a picture of all the uh, the beards you got on tap in the inside of your place, and then people walk in the door and they're like, "This uh, do I even have the right place? This looks nothing like what I saw online." There's good reason for that, guys. It wasn't. One of my favorites is the S the company that we use. I would you know, tweet out or like I would ha- unde- update untap from the bar where I work at. With, yeah. Like some, went up something I drank, and then they would like not like looking actually at my twitter bio which says where i work and what i do they would tweet back at me and i just like <laughs> look at it I, and that i think that no, was the point no, I no guys yeah. i i know i i run the place <laughs> i think that was the point where i decided yeah we need to like end this contract because this is not working out <laughs> <laughs> so to boot tell us a little do you guys have like a social media person or a social media group or do you guys handle that in-house we do as much as we can in-house um, we do have somebody that kind of helps him out, but helps us out. Um, but we pretty much give him all the information that he needs, so he's not really coming up with anything. He's an executing arm and rather a, than, and he's a customer. I mean, so oh, he's, nice. he's coming. I mean, that's how we met. Is like yeah. he liked the beer, um, and this is what he does, and he wanted to help us grow. So even though we outsourced it, it was still kind of insourcing. That's the best part about running a brewery is you basically are producing currency for all intents and purposes. <laughs> Not that you'd ever give away free beer. You can't do that in the state of North Carolina. I know that Three Spirits would never do that. So. Oh, no. Never have. So, so what, what else do you got, Ryan? I have from the Lincoln Journal Star in Nebraska, blazing a trail in the beer industry. It is a story about the Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild who just hired their first full-time executive director, and her name is Gabby Ayala. Her? Exactly. Does this play into what we're talking about today, Ryan? Just a little bit. Because one of the things that I really got out of the article that was interesting is that women make up 25% of all craft beer drinkers, and yet they only make up at most 4% of all the brewery owners and founders. Okay, so I, I married an accountant, so I'd never have to do math again. But even I know that that doesn't add up. Yeah. Yeah, and so that, that it's actually interesting because the Nebraska... Brewers get Craft Brewers Guild. Their executive director is now a woman. Their board president is a woman, and their um, legislative lobbyist is also a woman. I mean that that that's a fantastic look. I can honestly say that is probably the only I don't think guild I've in the ever United seen state guild in the United like States that. that has that set up. So yeah, congratulations, Nebraska Craft Brewers Guild. You guys are really <laughs> making the rest of us look bad. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah. Uh, one of the other articles I have is from the Lonely, Lonely Planet website. It's Get a Sneak Peek at Scotland's New Craft Beer Hotel. If you are a craft beer drinker, you've probably heard of Brew Dog just because you've seen the dead squirrel. Or <laughs> any number of their other ridiculous antics. Yes. And if you do not know what the dead squirrel is, they brewed the highest ABV beer. Are they gotten. All right. Slight digression. A few years ago, there was this weird race between craft brewers to see who could brew the highest ABV quote-unquote beer. And Brew Dog's entry, they brewed it. Do you remember the name of it? Oh, I'm going to have to look this up. Yeah, I I don't even know. It's it's, it's beer three or four years ago is practically like last century. Well, (laughs) Well, they brewed the beer and then they shipped it in a basically they shipped it in a taxidermy dead squirrel. Because that sounds sanitary. Yes. 
this is the kind of things these guys do, which, as we said before the show, they're kind of assholes, but they're mad genius assholes. It, it's it's <laughs> Scotland. There's not a whole lot else to do, guys. Like, Except for like, drink. Yeah, drink. I mean, they made a sport out of throwing telephone poles in, in skirts. Like, <laughs> I, I, I love Scotland, but good Lord, guys. But the brewery actually, I mean, the hotel actually is, what they've created actually does sound pretty good, cool. And it's nicknamed the Doghouse because, yes. And the <laughs> <laughs> because obvious. Yeah. The hotel is actually going to be right beside the brewery, and it overlooks inside the brewery. So you can actually watch the brewers work while you're in your hotel room. I know why you want to do that. And can but, they watch you while they're <laughs> yeah. brewing beer? That's the real question. <laughs> and every room will have, like, at least one tap and at least one beer tap in every room and there will be a shower beer fridge in every shower built in I, I'm not gonna lie I kinda wanna live there <laughs> yeah it sounds cool <laughs> I will say yeah but yeah, that's it's brew dog and god bless them they're also trying to build new breweries in China and Australia and stateside which has Maybe. gotten stopped and started yeah. four or five times yeah. at this point F- for reference by the way guys like brew dog uh, it's not just a publicity machine. They're literally just about the largest craft brewery outside the U.S. They're freaking huge <laughs> everywhere but stateside. So, so this is—it's actually significant brew news. They're just absolutely freaking crazy. They tried to—they ran a Kickstarter campaign for their American brewery and then tried to put everything on on a one spin of freaking roulette. Yes. And literally, it took a court order to tell them that they couldn't do that with Kickstarter funds. So this this is just the kind of thing they do. Yeah. And yeah, like I said, like you said, I'd, if I had go to Scotland, which there's a possibility that might happen, maybe about the time this is open, because you are watched like wearing a pretty cool flannel hat. Yes. Yeah, yeah and actually, plaid, one, yeah, yeah, plaid hat. One of my reps, he's originally from Ireland, and I wear this hat sometimes, and he just like, he loves it. <laughs> <laughs> Makes him feel right at home. <laughs> yeah. And my last story is from the local. It's a German news website. Craft beer drives surge in new German breweries. In 2017, 82 new breweries opened up in Germany. Between 2009 and 2017, 82 breweries opened up. 82 new breweries opened up in Germany. So, they've experienced the same explosion that every country who gets caught in the craft beer wave experiences. Yeah, I think we can just flat out say that craft beer is not a U.S. phenomenon anymore. It started here. It started in California specifically, but. Just about any developed country, and even some fairly undeveloped countries you look in now, have at least a small craft brewing culture, and, and a lot of them are rapidly growing. I know Germany's not alone. England's craft brewing culture has really taken off. Yeah. Australia's got a great craft brewing culture. Uh, I know Brazil's got a, a nice little hedge industry coming up. Canada, Mexico has a very nice little craft brewing culture coming up. So it, it's kind of wonderful to see these changes kind of happening on a global scale. That's all I got for news this week. What do you got? All right. So uh, by the numbers, uh, Boston Beer Company. Yeah, those those guys uh, are posting yet another sales decline. So 2017 wasn't exactly a good year for them. A lot of you guys might remember that in 2016, they posted single-digit sales declines. In 2017, they, uh, they posted a shipment decline of 6.2%. Uh, even worse, uh, depletions, which is kind of the rate that that beer is actually moving out to market. Uh, they saw a 7% decline. Now, they are blaming this. Uh, and keep in mind, this is the same company that makes Sam Adams, Twisted Tea, Angry Orchard, Truly Sparkling Seltzer. They're blaming it on having one less uh, selling week, just the way that the, the holidays kind of panned out in 2017. Now, sure. now again, let, I cannot reiterate <laughs> this enough. I don't do math if I can avoid it. 
even I know that 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 math does, just doesn't work out. I mean, you're looking at like a, a, even if you lost one of your 52 weeks on a year, you're looking at less than two percent sales decline. Uh, a seven percent sales decline is kind of an inescapable problem at that point. I mean, I I can assume what their argument is. We lost a we lost the week of Christmas and New Year's, which I would say no, you really didn't. You lost like a week in April that no one was doing anything and especially yeah, since yeah. most of their sales decline was in second quarter yeah, uh, their, exactly. their hopscapes uh, I think it was a hoppy wheat that was their new spring season they rolled out I actually really like the beer which surprised me it's not a style I usually go for it was an absolute freaking bust like absolute bust uh, they weren't moving any beer this last spring and seasonals drive the industry. It's starting to change a little bit, but it's definitely one of your major sources of continued growth. And the thing is, I think their beer is still actually good. It's just I don't know if it's I don't. They're not cool anymore. Yeah, basically, yeah. Not cool They're anymore. Not cool anymore. Yeah. Well, well, but you, this is going to be a continuing theme on the other stories I got. So. Uh, <laughs> New Belgium just announced that they are going to be cutting 4% of their workforce. Uh, I'm pretty sure everybody who's listening to this podcast is familiar with New Belgium. If if not, what the hell are you doing listening to a crappier podcast? Uh, so they're one of the largest craft breweries in the world. Uh, they have breweries in Fort Collins, Colorado, and in Asheville, North Carolina. So this is definitely hitting a little on the close-to-home side for us. Uh, but 4% of their uh, force, and this comes not too long after they just wound up laying off a few of their salespeople. That was just a few weeks ago. This isn't exactly a great look for them. They've been posting sales increases fairly steadily, but nowhere near at the rate that they were hoping to and what they'd kind of invested with an aim to do. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the thing that we're seeing is even the breweries uh, even the breweries that are seeing continue, continued growth, they overestimated the rate of that growth going into this year. And now they're starting to like you said, like New Belgium, they're having to start cut sales or workforce just because they they they're, yeah. they're too heavily leveraged yeah. and they don't have the liquidity to support that and when you over leverage like that especially when you start racking up debt which that's going to be relevant here in my next story uh, <laughs> that, that starts to become a problem especially if that growth doesn't match expectations i know they're expecting about 40 percent more growth between 2013 when they kind of started this growth phase and now that's that's falling quite a bit short in the grand scheme of things I think every I think a lot of breweries got a bit over aggressive in their projections. Yeah, well, but but craft beer's doing so good, right? Yeah. Overall, the industry <laughs> is doing really good. But Are you ain't good. doing nothing, guys. Uh, yeah, and this is kind of coming on the uh, the heels of some layoffs at Anheuser Busch, Craft uh, Brew Alliance, which makes up Red Hook and Widmer Brothers, uh, Paps Brewing, Stone Brewing, which their U.S. side's been a bit of a mess, uh, Summit Brewing, and Gamberness, which handles uh, Shiner, uh, as well as Bridgeport out in Portland, Oregon. Uh, there's one other brewery, though, that just recently laid off a whole bunch of people, and, and we did talk about that on a previous episode, but Green Flash, they're another one that laid off a decent number of people, uh, pulled out of 33 states, uh, which it, 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 there's only 50 of them, man. <laughs> That's a pretty significant number. Uh, well, they, uh, they just announced that they're looking to recapitalize. Uh, for those of you at home who aren't really business-minded, basically what this means is, oh, God, please, someone buy us. 
Uh, yeah. yeah, they they severely over leveraged themselves. Going back to that, they opened an East Coast facility in Virginia Beach, and they did that off of debt. So they're essentially sitting there with a huge payment. Thirty-three less states that they're able to sell in. Uh, yeah. They're in free fall, man. Yeah, I think I, this is I, not a very uplifting show. No, no, no. This is a terribly, <laughs> is, terribly yeah, is, depressing yeah. show. This is the for whom the, for whom the bell tolls episode. Oh yeah, we'll be covering the entire book of Revelation in our second part. <laughs> but yeah, I will say for Green Flash that I don't think anyone will buy them, and. I Think in the next <laughs> yeah, oh, wow, we're really getting more uplifting. <laughs> oh, this is going to get worse. I think in the next 18 months, you may see Green Flash just go, all right, we're bankrupt. Your Green Flash rep is going to be pissed. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, but you seem terribly concerned. I, I, but I will say, if you are a potential brewer and you live in the Virginia Beach area, just hang on. You may be able to get some brewing equipment really cheap really soon pretty sweet <laughs> facility so three spirits virginia beach is going to be open soon i heard all right <laughs> excellent all right so uh that's about all we had with brew news you got anything else for us ryan uh, no that's pretty much it and we're going to go ahead and get brian roth on the phone hey brian so how you doing today I am great. Thank you so much for having me. No, happy to have you on. Uh, so tell the listeners at home a little bit about your blog and kind of what you do for the craft beer industry, how you got into this. Sure. Um, so I'm originally uh, a journalist by education and by trade. Uh, I went to college for journalism freelance work. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, I eventually left newspapers, but still just enjoyed loving. I still enjoyed love uh, and love to write. Um, so, kind of found my way writing about uh, beer. Uh, I guess this must have been maybe about five or six years ago now, um, where I started a blog uh, called "This Is Why I'm Drunk." Uh, and Very apt that, name. <laughs> uh, it, it was inspired by a friend of mine on uh, on Facebook. He would always post post weekly pictures under a um, a photo album called This Is Why I'm Fat. Uh, he loved <laughs> cooking, and he, he loves food, and so I, I gave him a hard time about it, but at the same time, I'm posting pictures of, of beers that I'd like to drink and, and homebrew that I was making, and he kind of made a uh, joke toward me, so why, why don't you do something more with this? Um, and so I just I took that name and just kind of twisted it around uh, for the block. The best friends uh, are the ones who really kind of promote your mutual vices. I, I, I respect correct. that. <laughs> it ended up being beneficial for most for both of us. Although I, I guess he gets uh, some good food out of it, I get some good beer, so it works out in the end for both of us. I guess uh, all all in moderation, of course. Yeah, of course, of <laughs> course. Uh, we we here at Between the Pines <laughs> totally promote and practice moderation. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I, I was working on this blog for a while um, and eventually got connected with John Hall, who at the time was the editor at All About Beer magazine. Uh, and I started doing some writing for them, just doing some longer form uh, magazine pieces. And eventually that led me to be able to connect with Ben Keene at Beer Advocate magazine uh, and Michael Kaiser at Good Beer Hunting. Uh, I've also written for uh, for Paste and Thrillist and October uh, and 750, which doesn't just cover beer. It's a, it's a news site that covers the alcohol industry at large. Uh, and so I've just been uh, really lucky over the course of the last two to three years specifically to kind of branch out from uh, my own personal blog 
to be able to tell stories of the industry and, and all of the great people who are working in it. Yeah, I hear there's a few interesting people who have managed to drunkenly, I mean, moderately stumble into the craft beer industry. Uh, so we really wanted to talk to you about one particular article, uh, Addressing Diversity in Beer. It was a Q&A you did with Julia Hertz. This was back in uh, 2016, something that's still extremely poignant and relevant today. Uh, can you tell us a little about where that article came from, some of the inspiration for it, and how that kind of came about? Sure. Um, so... In one fashion or the other, over the last couple of years, I've been trying to provide some consistent coverage to issues of diversity and inclusion within the beer industry. Um, it all kind of stems from a really serendipitous uh, interaction where this was uh, a few years ago now um, at the, I believe it was the Great American Beer Festival. Um, there was a, a regular press event where it's all the media there who are covering the event, covering the industry, and members of the Brewers Association leadership team have a press conference where they kind of give their state of the industry a little bit and then talk with members of the media about um, things that are in front of their mind and they open it up to questions. Yes. Uh, and there were a lot of great questions that people were asking just about things related to, you know, AB InBev and the way that things were happening with our acquisitions and the growth of the craft beer industry. Um, and for one reason or another, I couldn't honestly tell you why it was from my mind, but I, I asked a question about what uh, the Brewers Association was doing um, in terms of trying to promote aspects of diversity and inclusion as a trade organization that represents, you know, thousands and thousands of, of small and independent businesses in the beer industry. Um, it seemed to me like they should and would have leadership in the same way that they do areas of safety and, and quality and all these very important aspects of the industry. Um, and so the answers that I got uh, from the leaders that were there included Bob Peace, CEO, uh, Julia Hers, Bart Watson, um, I think was the first time that, at least to me, it seemed like they were openly thinking about what that meant. And it, so it struck me as something that hadn't really been talked about in a broad sense before. Uh, that was, I remember, this is Ryan, uh, I remember reading that article and the one where you asked the question and I was kind of dumbfounded that no one at the Brewers Association had even, like you, from the answers you could tell, no one at the Brewers Association had even thought about the question because normally, in something like that, they would have their PR people would have had them prepared with a canned, non-answer answer just to show that they had been thinking about it. I, but, I believe the technical term for that is BS response. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, and uh, you'll pardon my, my memory, and I don't think it was, this was the case in those response to the question. Is it really was the way I kind of asked them was it was a, you know, a large 50,000-foot question where they could have taken it wherever they chose. Um, and I, I, Julia has been pretty consistent in her responses uh, in that, you know, beer is not a gendered thing, uh, whether it's the way that we think about the, the drink or the people who interact with it. Uh, but even still, I think simply just saying something along the words of, you know, we support all gender identities or people who choose to drink beer or want to get involved with beer, things like that. Um, and I think you could tell from the answers, if I remember correctly, that that wasn't addressed specifically, and I think that just made me more interested
interested in the fact that, like you're mentioning, Ryan, it, it seemed like something that that's the first thing that you should say. Um, especially, you know, it's maybe a bit more uh, front of mind today than it was a few years ago, uh, but certainly aspects of uh, diversity and the importance that brings to any industry uh, were absolutely uh, hot topics that were being discussed at the time. And honestly, the fact that there didn't seem to be any sort of, I guess, canned response, uh, in, in a way, it, it doesn't even show any sort of malice on their end. It shows that the subject isn't even really being talked about, and, and that's a greater part of the problem. Oh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And all of the conversations that I've had uh, with people in the industry, whether it's brewers or owners or representatives uh, of guilds, uh, national or state, um, I have not encountered someone who has felt um, that uh, that they're not trying to do something or they don't want to do something. I, I believe in the way that these conversations have gone is that it really is just something that perhaps up until more recently just has not been something uh, that people have actively thought about. In a lot of cases, that makes perfect sense, especially when you consider the legislative battles that continue to be fought, uh, whether by state guilds or independent businesses, uh, and just trying to get product to market and the challenges that a lot of businesses face in that regard. Um, but all the same, I think that you know the last year or so, when we talk about issues that may be related to laws or even just uh, market share, those things ha- are being overcome on a daily basis. And so now that if you look at the craft beer industry, the way it kind of has its things in order, that the important stuff is certainly being taken care of or has been taken care of, whether it's taxes or laws or things like that. And so now is a great time. It's a a good opportunity to kind of start reflecting more internally to see how those kinds of things can tie into broader societal issues that are not just important to beer, uh, but important to people all over and in all sorts of industries. And I definitely think it does speak to some broader societal Things. I mean, there is a picture that I'm looking at right now that you posted on uh, that blog when you had it on your your website, and it's just a picture of a lot of the folks who are in the industry who are at GABF. It's kind of a, a wide angle lens looking over just a face of some of the the biggest and most uh, well known folks in beer. And honestly, this is like looking at the palest version of Where's Waldo ever. <laughs> I, I, I swear to God. Like, you see Garrett Oliver uh, kind of front and center, and I count maybe five or six women. And this is a picture that has maybe, what, about 100 people, Ryan? I mean, 100 or so people are in this Yeah, and, and to see this picture and to look at this picture, for a lot of people, they wouldn't even see anything wrong with that. And it's not because they're, they're overlooking the – well, it's not because they're ignoring the fact consciously. It's just that it's something that doesn't even register in their minds that this isn't the way – Uh, that it should be or could be, I suppose. Yeah, and and I think, uh, you know, that picture might have been from the 2015 or 2016 event. Uh, And at least in the way that the Brewers Association is sharing some of those pictures now, I think you can clearly tell that there's a bit more mindfulness in terms of showing the breadth of people that do come to these events, whether it's the Great American Beer Festival or the Craft Brewers Conference, both of which, you know, having gone myself uh, over the last few years, um, I anecdotally certainly see a greater representation of women and people of all different race and ethnicities, uh, which is a wonderful thing. Uh, and so these are one of those, it's one of those anecdotal comments uh, that I think I hear and I see myself a lot. 
And it's really just trying to find ways, I think, to put that in front of people more often uh, to showcase that there is this kind of, uh, there's a change going on and it may be slow and being a bit more deliberate in how we think and talk about it is really important. All right, uh, Brian, um, I know we're talking about diversity, but I think one thing we should do is to maybe tell our listeners or frame for our listeners why diversity within craft beer is important, important for the future of craft beer and for the presence of craft beer. And uh, I guess I would say for me, it's one of the things that we've talked about on the podcast before. It's there are only so many 25 or 35 year old white men that drink craft beer and we've pretty much saturated that market. So it just in the dollars and cents idea of beer in the industry, you need to make sure you're allowing and allowing your customer base to expand but and give yourself the room to grow yeah let's just give yourself the room to grow and basically try to do try not to do things that will if not offend but at least will get at least i i think i think offend <laughs> is the right term and i don't think it's necessarily a dirty term we kind of treat it like oh hey yeah, well you don't want to offend anybody well yeah no you might offend people and that's something you need to take into account so what do you, uh, well, and it's, it's not even uh, I not even so much offend. It's just turning somebody off. Yes, uh, and, and I, I think there's there's certainly two parts of it. One, in a more practical sense, carries a bit more weight. First of all, I think in the, again in the conversations I've had uh, with people in the industry, there is great cohesion around this idea that uh, people. Uh, think in a progressive manner, and they are supportive of all sorts of people uh, and whatever kind of person they may be and who they think they are and believe they are and want to be. Uh, And that is great just from a a social point of view in creating a more welcoming atmosphere in which beer, um, certainly from a social standpoint alone, does a great job of bringing people together. Uh, But from a much more practical standpoint, uh, and this is a conversation that is becoming more important on a daily basis is the economics of it, is that, and, and Ryan, I think you, you, you nail it, where the demographics, especially when you look at younger consumers who are coming into the industry, uh, who are drinking less and drinking differently, uh, and drinking less beer specifically when we say drinking differently, um, it's a matter of trying to find who your future consumers and customers will be. And your future customers are the most diverse demographic in the country who care about how they spend money and what they support. And they also, most importantly, are making different decisions regarding the kind of beverages that they drink. And so it's not even trying to tiptoe related to, you know, people like to put it in context of political correctness. It's not even just that, but it's just trying to be mindful of what you should do as a business. Uh, that that sets you up for the best opportunity. And that extends from individual businesses across the industry that if you're trying to gain market share and show how a beer or craft beer can be an important part of these occasions that you share with your friends and family, there should be no reason why you're uh, not thinking about people who maybe aren't living in some kind of cul-de-sac community or aren't a white male age 21 to 45 uh, because 
one, for all the people who openly talk and very earnestly say so, that they want to create an inclusive industry. That's the way that you can accomplish it, is by looking at the people that maybe you haven't been thinking about for so long. Uh, and that's the way that the craft beer industry is going to be able to achieve so many of its goals. Excellent. Well, we, uh, yeah, I definitely think it's one of those things where we should be looking at this not as a, a, fort of, a form of you know, exclusivity just in the opposite direction where we're trying to open up craft beer at the expense of the existing consumer base. And I think that's a mistake you see a lot of people make within the industry as well. You know, where will craft beer be for me if we make it so that everybody can get involved? Well, uh, you're you're in everybody, jackass. <laughs> You'll be right there with us. That, that That's just fine. And, uh, you know, we've talked about it a little bit in the past, uh, you know, that primary demographic dilemma. I, eventually we'll cap out on people that look like myself and, and come from a background like myself, people who look like you, Brian, come from a background like yourself. Uh, we need to have a plan from a business standpoint, but also today's consumers, even the ones who do come from a similar background as us, they're a lot more aware and a lot more considerate of those, uh, of companies who don't take inclusivity into account. Yeah, and you know, there's, in the reporting that I've done and the people I've interacted with, there's a giant Venn diagram that kind of encapsulates all these things where it's both kind of the social consciousness and the people who are interested in the business aspects. And I don't think in the three years that I've been writing about this, there has ever been as much um, agreement that something needs to be done uh, and that people should be thinking about this more actively. Uh, the flip side of that is that there also seems to be some hesitancy on what that means. So there's agreement that yes, we should we should think about this more often, but then for some reason there still is something of a roadblock in taking those feelings and those words and putting them to, to action, uh, which is why conversations like this are so important. And I do think that they're happening more often, uh, but tangible outcomes need to come from it. Yeah, I was going to ask. The, my next question was actually going to be what would you recommend to brewers and other craft beer businesses to increase to help create a more diverse diverse workplace and what would you recommend that the diversity committee that the brewers association has what would you recommend that they do or recommend to the greater j uh, brewers association membership to do moving forward to increase inclusivity and diversity yeah we don't want to put this incredibly complicated issue entirely on your shoulders brian but fix it right <laughs> right <laughs> I, well, I should say I'm, I'm really excited with the diversity committee. I know Scott Metzger, when he took over um, originally, uh, he was so excited about it. And as he's stepping off the, the BA board, Julie Verratti is taking on the chairmanship. So you just of, did an interview board with, uh, and, just released, what, today or yesterday? Yeah, it was just it was just uh, just last week um, as we're talking the end of, of February. Yeah, Ju I've known Julie for a couple of years now, and um, she's... Uh, her background relates to issues of uh, social issues and and, uh, and diversity as well, and she's incredibly passionate about it, and I know that she'll be an amazing leader for that group, and Scott did a great job kind of guiding it from its very early stages to where we are now. Um, and uh, so in terms of kind of solutions, I, I dare not say something uh, that would be all-encompassing, all um, and especially just because I know place-to-place -place and business-to-business -business are all very unique in the way that they think about their mission and their ethos. Um, but I will 
share one kind of small anecdote that actually just happened to me over this past weekend that I thought was wonderful. Um, I was visiting uh, some in-laws with my wife uh, down in Florida, in Dunedin, Florida, uh, and there was uh, there's the longest-running brewery in Dunedin, and I think maybe the state, uh, Dunedin Brewery. Um, and on their front door, uh, they have uh, eight and a half by eleven printed out laminated sign uh, that is very clearly marked in all caps, and it says that they welcome all races, all religions, all sexual orientations, all genders, all abilities. Uh, and this is the kind of thing that is—it's very small in effort. Uh, but for me, and you know, I say this: I'm, I'm a middle class straight white male. Uh, and so I certainly do not know what it's like uh, for people who are not like me in the day-to-day way that they live their lives. Um, for me, that was very welcoming, and I enjoyed it, and I hope that it means uh, something to other customers who come through, too. Uh, and it's a small gesture just to put a sign out there to say that whoever you are, uh, we support you and we stand with you. Uh, and that's the kind of thing, even just from a very, very basic uh, starting point, I think is something that opens up opportunity for a lot more. Um, and even on a state guild level, uh, this was a piece of information that was accrued in reporting that I did somewhat recently, where on the state guild websites, there is there's not a single reference to their support of diversity when it comes to people. There is grand support on these websites that reference diversity of beer styles uh, and experiences as it relates to beer, but nothing that explicitly says that we want to support all beer drinkers, whoever they are, in you know whatever state of residence that may be. And even just something as small as that, I think, can carry some weight with it, just to make it clear that you know these conversations that I've had and people I hear from who talk about how they support diversity and inclusivity and they're very honest and open and true in what they say. Taking these kind of small steps, I think, can add up. And just being open and forthright with the kind of people that you want to welcome and make feel comfortable in your business. Preach. Well, uh, thank you so much for being on the show, Brian. We really do appreciate it. Uh, yeah, t- remind the folks at home, in case they're not familiar, where they can find your blog. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's uh, this is why I'm drunk. Dot blog. Should uh, be easier. And I'm <laughs> right. Uh, I am. I'm fairly active on Twitter, where it's just at b r y a n d for David R o t h Brian D Roth. Thank you so much, Brian. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, Cheers. guys. I really appreciate the conversation. Beautiful. We're ready. Well, to talk to Taboo for a little bit. Taboo. Thanks again for being on the show, man. Oh, thank you for having me. Oh no, no. Happy to have you. So. We're going to be covering a subject today that we feel like don't doesn't have nearly enough uh, time or really attention dedicated to it, and that's the subject of diversity in craft beer and the demographics problem that craft beer uh, presently has. Uh, for those of you listening at home, take a second, go ahead and just do a quick Google image search for craft brewer. Don't worry, we'll wait. Done? Done? Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's a whole bunch of bearded white dudes, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought so. All right, do a uh, Google image search for craft brewery owner. Same exact looking dudes, huh? Yeah, all right, all right. Now, uh, look up devilishly handsome ginger who runs a podcast. My picture was first up there, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, But this just helps illustrate the problem. Pretty much everybody in the craft beer industry looks 
pretty much exactly like me. Between the ages of 25 to 35, uh, most of us with prodigious beards, and uh, we get burned even thinking about the sun too hard. This is an issue, uh, and, and it's a continuing issue, and it's one that the industry is just starting to actually take seriously. Um, and you're seeing something similar happen, whether it's uh, people of color feeling like they don't necessarily have a place in craft beer or like there's not a sense of inclusivity for them or women feeling like the the craft beer industry wasn't really designed uh, not necessarily with them in mind so much as just making them feel like they have a place in it and that they aren't outsiders. So with that in mind we just wanted to kind of take some time to talk about the subject, address it head on, focus on what we can be doing better and take some responsibility for the future of this industry and how important this is, not even just from a social justice perspective, but from a very real pragmatic perspective. This is, it's, and it's also a theme that we've come back to just in our four episodes of this podcast of just you need to, for the sake of craft brewing and its future, craft brewing must diversify and make its consumer base more inclusive just because that's the only way you're going to be able to continue this growth and also that's just a good thing to do as a business owner you want to make sure your product gets out to the largest potential number of people yeah Yeah. so we have taboo here from three spirits and i guess so tell us a little about your brewery and and how you got started in beer and a little bit of your history with beer just in a general sense that's a long question um, so yeah, we, we <coughs> kind of like ramblers on this show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not a whole lot of coaching. No, so um, I, I think I'm like a lot of people. My first introduction to beer were bad pilsners in the Midwest. Um, That's a familiar sounding story. I, I won't name any specifically. Um, <laughs> no, don't worry. We have plenty of times in the show. <laughs> uh, we, we drink a lot of Beast Light. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I had this uh, roommate in college. Um, who had been a home brewer actually in high school and he kept on trying to get us to drink other stuff and we were just like man that stuff costs too much we can get more of this we'll still be drunk we don't care Um, then we finally started to listen and that's when I found out that you know there was so much more to beer Um, so that was in college um, med school Um, There was a local brewery in Nashville that was Gerst um, that had been there for, like, I don't know how long, many, many years. And you were just around more sophisticated people, I want to say. So we would just just drink a lot more craft beer. Blackstone had just opened up in Nashville, so spent a lot of time there. And I guess that's when it started. And then um, I went to a residency, and the director said that we might want to find something that we could do in the winter during our depressing intern year. And (laughs) I I decided that I would learn how to homebrew. Um, I figured worst comes to worst. I had something that would help me get through in multiple different ways. (laughs) (laughs) My job was really depressing. So I learned how to make alcohol. (laughs) And the uplifting uh, nature of this podcast continues. Absolutely. And so then, um, and then after that, I was just hooked. Um, once I started doing different recipes and learning how to adjust them and figuring out that um, I could make beers that I wanted and not ones that were just offered to me at the store, I mean, that, that was it. I was hooked. Um, started out just doing this for friends and family and um, married the most awesome person in the world. 
and we kind of got to a point where she was also a physician and I was a physician. We worked in the emergency department. Um, we had two small kids and we were not spending a lot of time with them. Um, when, I, when we first moved to North Carolina, we lived in Elizabeth City. So the weeping radish was out there. So oh, I yeah. already kind of had in the back of my mind as retirement that I would like to open a brewery, especially like, I mean, like you, you got a brewery on the Outer Banks. What could be better? And so you really kind of got in with the real OG yeah, North Carolina. First, I mean, yeah, Weeping yeah. Radish was the first the yes. North <laughs> Carolina brewery. Exactly. Yeah. And so then, um, and so I mean, that kind of started the idea. Um, and then, like I said, life kind of happened, and um, we decided that um, although we had a very, very good lifestyle, uh, we wanted a very, very good family life, and we didn't want to miss our kids growing up because we were doing things that we thought were more important, um, which they couldn't care less about <laughs> um, so we made some life changes and my wife was like um, go to Siebel uh, figure out if you can do this or not um, and I'll support you and why don't we just do it now I'll change some things around so she's now working from home still in the medical field and we've kind of readjusted our lives so that's kind of where three spirits came from and that's kind of where the name comes from is the Christmas Carol um, just that you know Scrooge was not the nicest person in the world yeah. Um, when you see the movie, when the, in the beginning of the movie, uh, then you see that he used to be. And it was kind of, he got distracted in life by things that he thought were important, mainly money, fame, and wealth, and neglected the things that were truly important, which were friends and family. And it took three spirits to come and visit him before he kind of got back on the right path. Man, that is a far better story than the usual I got bored and like to get drunk <laughs> excuse that most of us have for getting into beer. Well, All right. That's how it started, remember? Uh, if you yeah, could just, yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and to be, if you could, just let, us know, just let the listeners know where Three Spirits is here in Charlotte so they can find you. Oh, absolutely. Podcast. We are on Old Pineville Road uh, between Tyvola and Woodlawn, exits five and six off of um, I-77. <laughs> Uh, five, not even a five-minute walk from the Woodlawn train station. Um, can't miss us. Uh, just look for the big doors with the pictures of the three spirits on there, and the front entrance is red and black like an old English pub. <laughs> How many times <laughs> have you done that? Like, <laughs> I'm not saying that sounded rehearsed, but it definitely sounded well-practiced. I've <laughs> done a few beer festivals. Yep, yep, you've been asked a few times. <laughs> so, uh, Taboo, you're the only African-American brewery owner in the city of Charlotte and you're one of the only ones in the state of North Carolina. But you're not defined by being just an African-American brewery owner. I know us having you on the show to help contribute to this discussion is, is kind of reversing course on that, but how often does it seem like that is how your identity as a brewer and as a brewery owner kind of gets, I, I guess, boiled down and distilled? I, a lot. I mean, I guess I would say it's like, um, it's, kind of been the focus of a lot of the articles that I've been asked to do and a lot of interviews I've been asked to do. Um, even on, I mean, just it, it always comes up. And it's kind of one of those things where I'm used to it because there aren't a lot of African-American doctors either. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. Um, but it is. And it's also shocking, too, because there's been a lot of customers that come in that are actually surprised that I'm the owner and the brewer <laughs> of their beers. Um, so it, it kind of works both ways. Um, yeah. They're surprised on in that, that I am, and then so it, it's, it's a complicated story. And we ran into something similar when we, we talked uh, to Carly Smith of Bold Missy Brewing uh, on a couple episodes ago, and we, she was speaking about the Pink Boots Society, and we made the point that 
even though she's not an official spokesman or official steward for the Pink Boots Society, as a way of being a woman in beer, she has to be. Do you feel like that's a similar case for, for people of color who are involved in the brewing industry, that in a way the, the burden kind of falls, not maybe not the burden, but in a way that they find themselves acting as stewards for other people in that industry and just raising awareness because there is a level of, of ignorance, whether intended or otherwise there? Absolutely. Um, whether you want to be, which is not really something I actually honestly thought about before I got into it, um, but it is, I mean, you are what you are. Um, so you do have to definitely address that. Um, I mean, we've, we've talked about how, you know, there is not a, um, a lot of places. Well, all right, so let's back up. And, and we're, we're, we're talking about this because there's not a lot of African-Americans that go to craft breweries. Um, part of the reason for that is that um, we don't always feel comfortable. And whether you're a minority or majority, you generally don't like being surrounded by people who don't look like you. Um, you feel out of place. Um, you don't like people assuming that you are in the wrong place, that you don't know why you're there. Um, so there is so many different, um, I guess, facets to this whole story. So it's not just being an owner and a brewer, you still have to, I still have to make sure that my place is somewhere comfortable for other people of minorities to come into. Um, it's a multi-level thing. And it's, and, and you know, you, and you it's kind of like um, when anybody who's the first minority or woman, anything, it's never easy for you. And your burden is to make it easier for the people that come after you. Blaze the trail so that others don't have to go through this. Exactly. Thing. But it's, you know, and the other part that's really hard to do, I guess, are related to a, um, when I was in medical school, uh, we talked with the African-American faculty. Um, I went to a pretty nice school, I went to Vanderbilt. And there yeah, were pretty not, nice. There weren't that many um, African-American faculty there. And a guy said something to me then that really rubbed me the wrong way at the time, but as I've gotten older, um, I understand it. Um, he made the point that I know that you all are looking for us to be your mentors. And he was mainly speaking for himself. He said, the problem I have with that is that it's not that I would not want to be your mentor. He's like, but I am paid by this university to run a lab and produce and to make papers. Now, my white colleagues have to do the same thing. So on top of that, I have to produce and keep up with them when I know that I'm being scrutinized more, and yet I have to take on this other burden of raising you up. He's like, now, if the university said that they would decrease my burden so that I could do that, I would be more than happy to do that. And so that kind of brings me back to the point that it's just a really hard thing because I've been reached out to by many, many, many people um, that want to get into the business. But there's only so much I can do. Yeah. And you in have a enough, lot of ways. Yeah, okay. You have enough on your plate of, you know, brewing beer, exactly. running a brewery, and then add this other thing of helping these 10 other people who want to also do the same thing that's up. And again, you got into this specifically to give yourself more time at home and around <laughs> your kids. I, I feel like that's definitely running contrary yeah. and yeah. and running a brewery is is a lot more work than they ever tell people to start with, but it it does raise an important point as well. It it does often feel like a lot of times the burden for uh, increasing inclusivity and, and making a more 
equal in playing field and in a more welcoming environment in not just craft beer, but in any sort of uh, niche industry falls upon the people who are being made to feel unwelcome, which is the opposite of how it should be feeling. I mean, honestly, that burden should be falling on the people who for so long have felt so welcome and don't have those same uh, hazards that they have to navigate and have the luxury of not having to worry about. The burden really should be on them to, to find ways of making more people feel comfortable and, and widening that net. Yeah. It's a shame that you don't see that as often. And it's just such a, I mean, and, and, I mean, and like we're talking about, it's just such a small pool of people to pull from. So um, I'm not happy about the fact that um, if you come to the uh, tasting room after next Wednesday, we no longer have any African-American staff. Now, I've had seven or eight, which I think is a lot for this area. Um, two. It's a lot for craft beer in general. Yeah. Um, but, you know, life happens. Um, two of them, like, everybody does this as a part-time job. You know, they're, they're bartenders. Um, so two people got promoted. One person moved away. Um, another guy, um, he had just recently married, and his wife said he was spending too much time away from home with his regular job and now working in the brewery. And um, our latest one, um, she just got accepted to nursing school. So congratulations to her. Yeah, congrats. I mean, it's a po- it sounds yeah. like mostly positive things. It, and it is. There is a high rate of turnover within breweries to start with, but right. it does raise the point. Right. But as an African-American owner, um, I can tell you that I get asked that a lot by the patrons that come in who are also African-American, especially when we do um, any type of a event that's mainly catered to African-Americans. They're like, why um, are there no other African-American staff here besides you? Yeah. And it's like, you know, hey, I mean, I think I kind of quippishly said last time that like they keep quitting just to get them to shut up and everybody <laughs> laugh. <laughs> I mean, but it's just like, you know, you, I mean, you. You can't put an ad out that says, like, looking for an African-American bartender. Yeah, I, I don't feel like that necessarily <laughs> go over great. Yeah. I mean, it's so you have to find people who like what you're doing, are passionate about what you're doing, and who like craft beer. And there are not that many people out there. A lot of people want to be on the production side, but not so much in the taproom side. Especially since, you know, brewery tap rooms are a wonderful thing, but there's always going to be another bar that, has more opportunities for tips and that's not a phenomenon that is unique to three spirits or or any local brewery that that's you see this rendered across the board at breweries all over the place so your most talented bartenders and the ones who who are most apt to to be assets to you are probably going to wind up going to some you know hot nightclub or something like that where they're pulling in a thousand dollars in tips on saturday night working four hours a week and that does make retention hard, I would imagine. Yeah, it does. And I mean, and it's just kind of like, you know, owning a craft brewery. I mean, like, even as the owner, I mean, like, you, you get into this because you love it. Um, very few people get rich. We're hoping just to make a living. Oh, I keep holding out. It, not, <laughs> not, not happened yet, but I keep holding out, as does yeah. my wife. I, I mean, most of us just want to make a living. I mean, you have to find somebody who is passionate about beer that wants to help you build your brand. Well, I'm glad that we established the big lesson of the day. Uh, You can't get rich in beer. Uplifting (laughs) show continues. Uh, So the atmosphere of the craft brewing industry as a whole has historically been fairly lily white. And and there's definitely been some reasons for that. For one, it does have some pretty significant barriers to entry, and especially early on in the history. Historically, you know, the African-American community in particular, but uh, people of color and women have not had the same access to wealth 
haven't had the same access to lending and starting any small business is going to be difficult, but especially one where, like you said, getting rich is not necessarily something that's going to be uh, able to happen. So when you have fewer opportunities and, and a higher risk reward situation, that does disincentivize from a standpoint. So historically, beer has been just, it's been guys like me, and it's historically been guys like me. And we're going on, what, what was Anchor, 1970? Yeah, 69, so there we go. Yeah. We're, we're going on multiple decades now, you know, entire generations where that has kind of been the state of things. Have you seen the atmosphere of the industry change in just the time that you've been involved in it? Well, I guess if it had, then we wouldn't be doing the same interview that Garrett Oliver did like 20 years ago, you know, yeah. about diversity. It's changed a little bit, but, you know, not monumentally or earth shattering. And it's kind of funny because if you look at the history, um, before breweries became businesses, African-Americans and women were the ones that were doing most of the brewing. Yes. Yeah. Historically, the brewers I, in the Middle Ages were women until brewing got industrialized and oh we can make money doing this exactly let's get these women out of the way we can make money yeah i mean i had i I just i think we just summarized western history as a whole (laughs) (laughs) i just found out that like um i had a um a great great grandfather and a great 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 grandfather who were both brewers my great great grandmother um made peach brandy I mean, so brewing is in our I family. I like your great-great-grandmother. Oh, I do, too. <laughs> she sounds like she'd be fun at parties. Yeah, no one can find that recipe, which is really making me mad. <laughs> well, my, prop, my, my father used to make um, wild plum brandy, and mm-hmm. I, he never wrote the recipe down. Oh. So oh. <laughs> yes. Was he one of those, like, this is, like, my secret kind of, oh, see, now that's just selfish. Yeah. Come on, now. <laughs> so as much as I would like to go pick some wild plums, and I like eating them, but I would. If I'm going to do all the work to pick them, I want something a little bit more substantive mm-hmm. once I get finished with it. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, so um, it's changing some. I mean, I guess more people are talking about it, which is good. But, I mean, it, I'm still one of very few when I go to any type of a craft beer event. And the problem definitely, at least statistically, seems to be on the brewing and ownership side, uh, yeah. there is definitely historically a hugely weighted uh, proportion of craft beer <laughs> drinkers comparison to the, the majority population was young white males, but that has definitely been shifting. I know Ryan mentioned earlier that 25% of craft beer drinkers are women now. Uh, now 14% of craft beer drinkers are Latinos, but, uh, though they do make up a much larger portion of just the actual beer drinking population, and, and yeah. that's becoming more and more important to the industry at large. But African Americans in just the last three years have gone from just 3% of the craft beer drinking population to now 12% of the craft beer drinking population. So progress is happening, but you're not seeing... It's happening on the consumer end, yeah, not on the Yeah, side. Right. And, yeah. And you're not seeing those changes start to happen on, on the side of things that can really drive the industry yeah. and, and make future decisions uh, for the industry as a whole. And that goes back to what you are talking about with capitalization. You have no money to invest. You cannot be an owner. And, you know, you have to – and if you're a brewer, I mean, it's very hard. For I mean, I've, I've just heard too many stories um, – about people who are great brewers, won international awards, and could not get a job at a brewery. Oh yeah, we, I'm Annie Johnson, a handful of others. I was, I've been reading about basically the whole last week. It's been a real depressing week for everybody involved. <laughs> 
Yeah, which again just further illustrates. I mean, th this isn't something that is is new or is is non-existent. This is the reality for a lot of people. And for a long time, there was literally only two African American head brewers in the entire country. We were, at one point in time we had thirteen hundred breweries, two of them with African American brewers. That is just startling. You you almost it would almost seem like they're they're trying. <laughs> to do that, I, I know this is a wild idea. It doesn't sound like America at all, but yeah. Um, so, why do you think that it is important for? I mean, th th does this even matter? I guess would be the follow-up question that some people would say. You know, so the Caucasian community enjoys craft beer. So Latinos, so African Americans, so women, uh, uh, you know, in general, don't like craft beer as much. Does this matter? Why is it important uh, that we? make sure that we widen that net and reach out to uh, further demographics. I would just point at restaurants. Um, do you go eat European food when you go out to eat very often? I mean, you, you like flavors, you like things mixed together. You like what everybody brings to the plate. Um, oh, we've, we've talked about it on this show before. My family's from the Midwest. We use butter and salt as condiments. Yeah. We, we, are, we have a terrible culinary history. <laughs> I think it's, so I think the more you diversify anything, the, the better your product becomes because you get all these other influences that you didn't even think of. Um, a different way to, make, to mix flavors, a different way to perceive that, that, that they just plan their recipes. Um, so I think that that's what you need. I mean, otherwise, I think everything would just end up just at one at some point just tasting exactly the same. Things stagnate. Yes. And you were mentioning earlier that some of the state brewers guilds, uh, you know, they have plenty of mentions about diversity in style and next to no mentions about diversity of people in the industry. And you know what? Let's get real pragmatic with it. Uh, you want diversity of style? What's the best way to get that? And so that's to find people who aren't necessarily looking at the same problem in the same way as you. They're bringing a different history to it, different traditions, different palettes, different backgrounds, different ideas. And you see this in industries well beyond just craft beer. It's a, it's a wonderful thing to have that diversity because it's good for everybody. It, it widens that scope and really widens what's available. Yeah, I agree. But then you go back and I think that... <clears throat> You know, I will say that the North Carolina Brewers Guild, they, they do have a scholarship program to help people go to the, um, the annual meeting. Um, I think that it's hard to have a diversity program if the people running it are not diverse. Um, I mean, that would kind of illustrate <laughs> the problem right on the head of it. And then it gets back to what I was saying earlier is that now I have to be an owner, a brewer, and on the diversity panel. Yeah. So if you only have a certain number of people who qualify to help you, um, it really comes from the bottom. I mean, uh, not the guilds. I mean, I think the breweries themselves have to make a concerted effort to train and hire minority and women brewers um, and give them the opportunity so that they can one day own their own place. Um, the more that there are, the more we can split up the responsibility and the more we can make it better. Um, but as long as it's just such a small number um, it's going to be very difficult to change, and it has to change, <clears throat> you know, at your hiring and at the brewery. Has to happen organically, and, and we yeah. have to we have to make that happen. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so I guess let's talk about something good. Yeah. Ooh, I like I like positive news. That that's yeah. that's nice. This is CIAA week here in Charlotte, mm -hmm. and you are going to be hosting the Black Food Truck Friday this yes. Friday. I guess just tell us about the event. Tell us, you know, why you think it's important, especially in 
the context of the conversation we're having. Mm-hmm. Just talk about, you know, what it's going to be, when it starts, what day, and everything. Okay. So um, this is the, I think, the fourth one that we've had. Um, the first one, I met um, Cathay Dawkins, who is the, um, the president of the Black Business Owners of Charlotte, um, of probably a couple of years ago now. Uh, he reached me out of the blue. We did a blog, um, and he had an event at our place, just in a mixer, and everybody really liked it. So he reached out to me last year, um, around August or September, that he was kicking around the idea of doing a um, Charlotte Black Restaurant Week but wanted to know how we could be involved with that. And I said, well, you know, food trucks are pretty much mobile restaurants, um, and they're kind of a mainstay at a lot of the breweries. I was like, why don't we find black-owned food trucks and and kind of partner that way? Um, He also had some local vendors, um, all um, uh, black-owned businesses um, that we also included. And I think that the um, Facebook traffic that we first got you know, you always see the thing that says, like, you put in an event and it says this many going and this many interested. Yeah. And you never know what to do because those numbers are not anywhere <laughs> close to anything. So <laughs> I think it said, like, a thousand are interested and, uh, no, it said a thousand are going and, like, 6,000 were interested. We estimate that there was over 3,000 people oh, there wow. that yeah. night at some point because usually a maybe means a no because i exactly. hit maybe for all sorts of stuff and then no show all the yeah. time so that, right. that that is an incredible conversion rate yeah we just yeah. had a great time um there were no issues i mean everybody just had a great time and we had fun and so we're like you know we want to continue doing this um so he approached me about doing uh, one for the ciaa weekend and so we're going to pretty much have the same format uh, where from five to ten there'll be multiple different food trucks all different types of food um, about 20 to 30 vendors. Um, there is a band um, and a rapper, and th- I mean, there will be giveaways. I mean, it's just it's almost and it's for the whole family. So I'm pretty sure you had most of us sold at food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and you get to, and, and it's a way that like we can um, introduce the community to craft beer, you know, yeah. and let them know that, that I mean, because that that's what we want to do. Show them that you know, like maybe your idea of craft beer is not correct um especially at our place we i i say that i make highly drinkable beers um that's what i like and that's what my friends like and so i want to kind of keep that accessible exactly and i think a lot of people when they hear craft beer they get intimidated um, because there are some beers out there that have a lot going on in them Oh, yeah, and when we're talking about, like, a smoked lobster tail imperial Grudziski, <laughs> you know, I, I really feel like uh, there's definitely a market up for that, all four people. Yeah, but yeah. you need those kind of starter beers. I had a rep, the rep who imports a lot of the German and Belgian beers. He came in last week. And he we brought talking. that into you, too, didn't he? Brought he? It, yeah, he brought the Grudziski. <laughs> I, I loved it. It's a great beer. Can't but sell I'm, it. But there's, uh, no, you, it's going to sit on my line for two months because like i'm gonna drink it well he also you might drink it well he also had that polish uh, perry that tasted like he'd injected foot cheese into it and i mean that in the best way possible it was delicious i couldn't sell that if you tried man like and i, I mean we've talked before about yeah. the fact that you know as much as we like to, to you know talk trash about uh, blue moon the craft brewing industry owes more to that damn beer than any other single beer. That you need those starter beers for people, yeah, and that's not a yeah, bad thing. I've yeah. been 
all about craft loggers lately. That's kind of been the story of the year. And, and, and you even have a lot of people who really started to do a deep dive, like Ryan and I, into more advanced beers. You know, you can't see the scare quotes, but they're there. Uh, they're starting to realize that those simple, drinkable, accessible, everyday beers are not only every bit as important, in a lot of ways they're more important than some of those real uh, advanced, intense flavors that you'd be getting out of something like a Grzyski. Yeah. 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 And I think the, my wife sent me an article actually a few months ago that was about a, um, a guy who used to be a beer judge at a lot of the competitions. And the article was why I'm into boring beer now. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, I read the article. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was kind of like the same point. You go through this phase, and I've been through my phase where you want things that are way out there, but you always come back because you know you want something that you can I call just sinking into. You can just yeah. sit down and just drink it and just have a good time. I mean, the NCAA tournament yeah. is getting ready to start. Yes, that first weekend, you you're not going to want to drink a Grzitzki. You're going to want, <laughs> you know. Wait, like wait, 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 wait. of wheat or you, you, something you, light that you can just... Ryan, like, are you trying to tell me that you don't play beer pong with sexual chocolate? Oh, my God. <laughs> 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 oh, it's going to be a fun game, but a real yeah. short one. Sweet. Exactly. I think for the people that don't know about that beer, you should don't miss a beer. Oh, yeah. That, that, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I Not should probably person. clarify. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, we play beer pong with what we play. Beer pong is code. <laughs> Boy, man, we went from uplifting to like, like w- w- welcome to, uh, that went left really welcome to Between the Pines Love Connection. <laughs> oh, man. Taboo, I didn't expect that out of you, man. <laughs> Took me by surprise. Now, now I'm blushing over here. Sweet Jesus. Oh, went from white to red in a hurry. I used to work in the emergency department. I got a lot of stuff. Yeah, now that I can definitely believe. Oh, man. Yeah, so uh, I, I guess, uh, yeah, I was reading an article to try and get us somewhere back on track. Good Lord. Uh, yeah, I was reading an article that was kind of doing a deeper dive and just uh, – the Hispanic community and into beer and talking about just the need for higher accessibility in the craft beer industry and really kind of rolling out that welcome mat, not just for, you know, the demographics that traditionally haven't been pursued, but just for your average Bud Light drinker. Uh, something like 54% of Hispanic millennials said they would love to drink more craft beer. The only problem is they don't know enough about it and they feel like there's not a place for them. That's a real easy thing to fix. And especially considering that, uh, the Hispanic millennial population is the fastest growing single population block in the country, especially considering that Hispanic cultures in general uh, tend to be very high rates of beer drinking compared even to white culture. Uh, that That is definitely a, a direction that should be pursued, even just for the long-term survival of the industry. I mean, so you must be like reading our, our minds. We haven't posted any of this yet, but we are having um, two events this year. Um, Just two. <coughs> Only two events the entire year. <laughs> well, but they're, they're going to be big, and we want to make an introduction. Um, where our brewery is, we kind of sit very close to the, the Latino population. Yeah. Um, so we were approached by someone um, this year on July 28th. Uh, they want to have the Peruvian Independence Day uh, festival there. Food trucks and Well, I was about to say, there. will there be Peruvian food? If so, yes. I will be there. Yes. And then uh, we are trying to put together some way of doing a um, – in September instead of Cinco de Mayo, which really is not anything to do with the Mexican Revolution. You mean a, you yeah. mean a holiday the Americans created just so yes. they could drink a lot of beer? Um, Man, we're, we're going to have yeah. to do a whole episode on yeah. just uh, like... like Bullshit holidays. Bull- bullshit. Ho- I'm glad you said it. Yeah, bullshit holidays that Americans created to drink beer. Yeah. 
Uh, so we're looking to put something together um, towards the end of September, which is really around a bunch of Mexico and Central America's Independence Days and having a different festival there. Um, just, you know, I mean, like we we want to show that we are open to all communities. And it's not pandering. It's it's just it's, making a yeah. point of being inclusive and, and realizing that, you know, everybody likes beer. That you're welcome. You're yeah. welcome here. You're yeah, welcome th here. this is a place not just for for myself. This isn't just a place for the people I know. This is a place for everybody. Right. Uh, because if there's one thing that beer can do, it brings people together. Uh, I think it was uh, oh, I forget who I was reading wrote this, but just the idea that if in a fairly progressive industry and a fairly uh, welcoming industry like craft beer, we're not able to make some progress on some of these greater social issues, then that doesn't leave us a lot of hope in other aspects of society. So as an industry, we don't so much have a responsibility as we just have a, a we, we should be able to do this. It shouldn't yeah. be hard for us. And if at the end of the day we make some new friends out of it and we make some progress and some you know positivity comes out of it, I think that's a wonderful thing for everybody. Yeah. And you were joking. I know when you said we're only doing two events, but I think part of what you don't want to do um, is overdo it. Yeah. <laughs> that tends to make people even more uncomfortable. You just want to oh, yeah. acknowledge that. I mean, if every website you read that talks about craft beer talks about being a part of the community we just want to acknowledge the community that we're in yeah it's and a very culture-based industry and just it extends beyond you know me right and that's important yeah excellent um so yeah i think i think we did as deep a dive as we're going to be able to do in a Yep. You know, a weekly podcast on, on you know, incredibly complicated and <laughs> difficult subject. Um, do you have any beer recommendations for me, Ryan? Uh, this week I've been drinking a lot of the Gibbs 100 Guilty Party ESB. That may seem like a boring-sounding beer. Well, first of all, let me explain what an ESB is. It is not a very bitter beer. It is basically... But it says extra special bitter, Ryan. Yes, and that's why we call it, when we write it up on our board, we call it in English Amber Ale. I think they even put Amber Ale on they the can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because it's a, it's a really wonderful, easy-drinking Amber Ale. ESBs are one of the original session beers that you go into a, any kind of English pub, especially in England, but also if you find a place in the United States that does cask beers, like one of my favorite places is Hogshead Brewing in Denver, they do cask beers, and you can just sit, and you could, which I've done, you can sit at a place like Hogshead for four or five hours and just keep drinking ESBs and not really be really messed up. But you, it, like you said, beer is a way to bring people together, and something like an ESB, like the Gibbs Guilty Party, which is one of the most decorated beers made in North Carolina, by the way, but. A beer like that is the kind of beer that I think... So glad that we collected that sponsorship fee for them prior to this episode. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, by the way, anybody who wants to sponsor us, just, just, just let us know. We're, we're open to talk. But we, yeah. we do expect sponsorships in beer. Exactly. That, that is beer entirely That is exactly. all we really want. Yeah, I can't promise we'll say good things about your beer if it's <laughs> terrible, but if it's good, I'm happy to shill. Yeah, but, a, but a beer like the Guilty Party is one of those beers that it does bring people together because you can just sit it's one of you can just sit and drink a bunch of them and get a little drunk but not be crazy out of control you know 
doing crazy stuff drunk and you just it's the session to me the session beer is the beer that creates that really does create the craft beer community it's the one that you just sit and share with your friends because you can talk and not sound like an idiot exactly <laughs> chokes on you guys i sound like an idiot sober <laughs> <laughs> and let's see what else do i have oh you brought multiple beers today oh well not multiple beers but multiple things to recommend but let's uh, see yes. your recommendation yeah yeah some of us also like to drink beer there ryan god <laughs> uh so i'm gonna go ahead and and butcher the hell out of some belgian uh, so this week I'm going to recommend the Ach Krikenbier Brewer Victor. Yeah, I'm, I don't know if I got a single damn syllable in that right. Uh, Krikenbier. Uh, so it's made by the same people who make Dutch as the Bergonia. Uh, so essentially, <laughs> Ryan's over here dying in his chair. All right, <laughs> we have fun here. Oh, I have no. I don't. I don't think you guys want so right. <laughs> uh, hey, listen. I owned up to that, man. This is this is why inclusivity is important. Uh, Echt Krikenbier. It's uh, from the same brewery that makes Duchess de Bourgogne, which is pretty much the most OG Flanders red on the market. It's it's like drinking red wine vinegar in the best possible way. I think that might be Leia's favorite beer that I've had her try. Oh, I love that beer so yeah. damn much. Uh, so the Echt Krikenbier is actually the uh, the name translates to real cherry beer. Essentially, what it is is they take a one year, a two year, and a three year of Duchess, age them all on. Belgian cherries, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. The the face Ryan's making right now, I I need a screenshot of it. It's exactly what it's like drinking this beer. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, it mellows out that uh, the acidity and that acetic bite, uh, the vinegariness you get out of Duchess. It, it just really smooths out the edges and makes something that is both eminently drinkable and just an absolute delight. It's definitely on the sweeter side, but it's never cloying. Uh, it's definitely for me a little more well-rounded than your average Frembois Creek. Like the Lindemans, which is yeah, really Lind sweet. Lindemans, which is basically Kool-Aid. But <laughs> yeah, you know, good Kool-Aid. I didn't listen. I grew up drinking Kool-Aid. Don't judge. Um, but yeah, it's it's just an absolute treat to drink. It, it's been my shift beer for the last like you know week that we've had it on, which means I've had heartburn for about a week, <laughs> but uh, a happy heartburn. So. <laughs> So, Tabu, you got uh, any beers you'd like to recommend to the drinking world to go ahead and give a try? Wow, you're gonna put me on the spot. Oh okay. yeah, no, entirely on the spot. Um, so I'm no not, pressure. So I, what we'll do is we will not name anybody local because I'm friends with everybody. Um, we get it. You have friends. Just Brag. a couple. <laughs> <laughs> um, Charlestown uh, Fermentory in Charleston, South oh, Carolina. Oh, they are so good. Um, Sungazer, I okay. recommend that one. There you go. Excellent. Nice, nice IPA. That's a place. Nice. Hopefully, we'll I'll be going to Charleston sometime in the next years, yeah, next few months. I was about to say next year, man. You're planning way far out. It's well, like well, three have, hours um, away, dude. <laughs> well, honestly, I have the craft uh, the uh, craft bloggers conference in August. I'm going GABF in September, and sometime around uh, January, February next year, I'm going to Belgium. So yeah, I oh, kind of do. Awesome. <laughs> kind of do that. So make a make sure you try that. <laughs> you know, I, I hear it's pretty good. It got a good recommendation on between the pints. <laughs> Definitely worth stopping by there. Uh, yeah. So any uh, non beer recommendations for us, buddy? I have two this week. One is actually a restaurant, the Foxcroft Wine Company. It's uh, they actually have two locations: one in Dilworth and one in South Park. And we went to the one in Dilworth this week, and it's like. A, it's wine. It's not beer. But they have beer. 
Yeah, they do have. They have a really good. They actually selection. have a very good beer. So don't, <laughs> yeah, don't let the name fool you. They have a great yeah. little beer selection. But it's like really good food and really good wine, really good beer. Nice little, even, like nice little spot. Like makes you feel like you're almost in like Sonoma in California. Is kind of what the feel of it is. And I think the question I had is why is there not like a beer bar like that here in Charlotte? Is somewhere that does that does bottles and does like a small number of like really good beers on tap like yeah you know, somewhere you could get like St. Bernardus or an upscale yeah. bottle shop yeah if only we knew people who worked at bottle shops who yeah. might have an idea how to do something like that uh, yeah. you never know what <laughs> you never know what the future may hold but no I, I yeah. and I think that's part of the thing about beer is for a long time we set ourselves up as an industry in I guess opposition to the wine crowd because yeah. let, let's be honest wine people suck now I got friends who are wine people, and I love you guys. Y'all suck. Uh, it, it, there's a pretension level in the yeah. wine community, and you have a gr- bunch of great people who drink wine. That's yeah. fine. That's totally legit. But the community as a whole was very. It, it defined itself by being the upscale alternative. Yeah. Uh, I feel like craft beer is finally starting to get to that point where we'd kind of be ready for a more upscale yeah. uh, version of your typical neighborhood bottle shop. Yeah. And that actually brings up what you just mentioned. Actually, brings up a really good book, which is not one of my recommendations, but one I think people should read if you're into craft beer. Is he said, he said, she said. It's basically um, uh, a beer person and a wine person just talk about their respective liquids and how to pair them with food. And um, the reason I don't want to recommend Ooh. it is because I can't think of the name. One is Sam Cotillione of Dogfish. Right? Sam Collagion. Sam Collagion. Don't, dude, I, I swear. There, I, I, <laughs> lear, I made myself learn how to say his name right, if for no other reason than when he came to Charlotte last time, like yeah. everybody in the beer industry was like, oh, crap, I'm on the spot now. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but I can't Sam Collagion. I remember he and I can't remember the uh, female, her name, but she is from the wine industry, and it's a really good book on how the differences between pairing beer and food together and uh, go find that it's a great book uh, but my other recommendation for non-beer is another podcast actually WFAE the public radio station here in town has a podcast called Southbound it's um, hosted by Tommy Tomlinson who if you're from Charlotte and you've read the Charlotte Observer you know he was he, in my opinion he was the best columnist the Observer has ever had um, he left them of many years ago, probably like 10 or so years ago, and started doing freelance writing and other things. And the last few years, he's had some health issues, and he had uh, some problems with his throat. But he got bet- he got well enough with his speaking that he was able to start a podcast probably about three or four months ago with WFAE called Southbound. And that has, and that's a great podcast. And I will say, go listen to the first episode because he does it with... Um, it's basically he just sits down and interviews Harvey Gant for like two hours. And if you, anybody knows anything about Harvey Gant, he was the mayor of Charlotte. Um, he's a black man. He was the mayor of Charlotte. He ran against Jesse Helms twice. Should have beat him at least once. And he also was the first African-American at the um, Clemson Architecture School. He's, it, just listening to his story, it's fascinating from birth just listen to his story and everything that he's been through and what was the name of that podcast again southbound you can tell we talk about all this stuff yeah. before the episode as i'm like writing down the name of it but the cool thing is that now tommy is now he's 
WFAE is hiring him full time to do continue to do southbound on a weekly basis, and to do other things with other shows on WFAE and to do some more writing for their website. Which this is mostly just I wanted to yeah, talk about Tommy Tomlinson and how happy I am I will get to read and hear more from Tommy Tomlinson in the near future. Beautiful. Uh, so. As far as my recommendations are concerned, I got kind of a three. Well, I got a couple, but I got one that's kind of a three in one. Finally, got around to watching the 2016 version of the Magnificent Seven, uh, which was. Did you, I, I still haven't seen it. Oh yeah, have, did you have you seen the original? Yeah. I'm, yes. I, don't don't you scoff at me. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you at home who aren't aware, so the Magnificent Seven. It, all right, so here's why I'm saying this is like three wrapped up in one. So The Magnificent Seven from 2016 is a remake of a 1960 movie, The Magnificent Seven, uh, which star starred Yul Brynner, uh, Steve McQueen, uh, had Charles Bronson in there. Yeah. Uh, and that was essentially a reimagining of the classic from 1954, The Seven That's Samurai exactly. by Akira Kurosawa, who is one of the all-time great directors. Uh, so... Just to give you some background on these, the basic idea is you have a, a village that is being intimidated by outside interests. They hire on a group of mercenaries, whether those are samurais in the original Seven Samurai movie or in the Magnificent Seven movies. They're assorted, you know, cowboy archetypes. And they seven gunslingers. Seven gunslingers. And they come in and do their best to defend this town, even though they each themselves are deeply flawed characters. Uh, the 2016 version didn't get great reviews. I couldn't tell you why aside from the very very last scene which was grown worthingly bad but aside from that I, I really thought it was a fantastic movie I mean when you got a cast that is headed up by Denzel Washington which if I don't got to tell you anything about Denzel then you, you got to watch more freaking movies man uh, Chris Pratt um, you had Ethan Hawke was in there I mean it's just <laughs> top to bottom oh, yeah, uh, I remember because Ethan Hawke was doing his Val Kilmer imitation yep <laughs> uh, Vincent D'Onofrio who is becoming one of the great character actors of America right now uh, he, he's in there as well it's just an absolutely fantastic movie that is uh, one of the few good reimaginings I've or uh, I guess uh, remakes I've ever seen because usually remakes are absolutely just freaking terrible yeah. And to be able to do that in a respectful way that manages to add something new and, and to remake a movie that itself was essentially a remake is just uh, really kind of fun. So definitely want to recommend folks uh, check out that. Also, I also have another podcast because we apparently like to cheat on each other around here. Uh, so The Pope's Long Con. Uh, this was a <laughs> – has nothing to do with the actual Pope, by the way. Uh, this is a uh, podcast that was done by the oh, – what was the name of the actual organization? It's the Kentucky – hold on. I can do this. I promise. Da, da, da. Yeah, it's a Kentucky organization for – or it's the Kentucky Center for Investigative Research. There we go. I, I had it. Uh, basically, they dug deep into one of the state senators from Kentucky – and it started out as just they got a random tip, and the more they started to figure out, they realized that this dude's not only a con man, he's got a long history of sexual predation, of, of defrauding the government, of uh, running illegal alcohol groups. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it just it like, goes from there. So and you said do a deep dive into a state senator from any state in the United States. I'm like, yeah, this is going to this is gonna turn left really quickly and <laughs> really deep. <laughs> yeah, it really got dark in a hurry. And, and really what makes it both tragic but also uh, fascinating, he wind, wound up committing suicide after the first episode of this was released. 
And so they released the remaining episodes online. It's a real quick listen. It's only five episodes. They're each about 15 minutes long. But it's just incredible that he was even able to get into the position he was in. And it really does kind of make you think. It's almost just a cavalcade of ridiculousness. (laughs) And and just how the hell did a guy like this even make it past age 25 without finding himself in jail? Much less in this position of very real political power. So def- definitely worth checking out. Uh, you can find it at longcon.kycir.org. Uh, definitely worth checking out. Um, and I think it's on iTunes as well, so it's pretty easy to find. All right, you got anything else for us, Ryan? I think that's it. This was uh, fun and I hope somewhat illuminating and conversation we've had today with a couple of people who know a lot about diversity and care a lot about diversity and craft beer. Yeah, appreciate you being on the show, Taboo. Uh, Brian, uh, just want to thank him again for being on. Uh, for all of you at home, definitely make sure you go ahead and uh, tune in next week. I, I promise it'll be a little more lighthearted. I don't even think we know what we're going to be covering, but we'll figure it out. Thank you all for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> hey, right, guys. Uh, so uh, tip your glasses up. Salute. Cheers. Ching, ching. Ganbei. And most of all, bottoms up. Peace out. <laughs>